Hi everybody, I'm Peter Jacobson, and welcome to Jake's Takes. Wasn't it great to see live golf back on TV the last couple of weekends? We started out two weekends ago with the TaylorMade driving relief match with Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, playing Ricky Fowler and Matthew Wolf. It was on NBC Golf Channel. And I thought it was a, a, a very interesting, interesting match at a great golf course, Seminole Golf Club, down in South Florida. And on this week's podcast, I have a chance to catch up with my colleague from NBC Sports and Golf Channel, Steve Sands, to discuss his thoughts about the match. And I also have a chance to catch up with another colleague of mine in the PGA Tour world and also in television, former Masters champion Trevor Immelman, who was on the call for the match this past weekend with Tiger, Phil, Tom Brady, and Peyton Manning. I was on the broadcast for the match number one in Las Vegas a year and a half ago between Tiger and Phil, and it was a totally different thing. It was for money, winner take all, nine million bucks. And if you remember, Phil beat Tiger in 22 holes. Actually, they had to they had to play it off in the dark to a little par three, which was pretty interesting. But overall, because that was a competitive match, there really wasn't much banter going on. And once they got past the first hole, boom, their competitive juices came out. All the fun was gone. And it was a competitive match for nine million bucks. And who can blame them? I understand it. You want to win. Nine million bucks on the line. But in this situation, this past weekend, it was all about charity. And it was really fun to watch. From my standpoint, it was so much fun to watch these players give of their time and also entertain us as they went around. And never was that more evident than on the second hole of the match. First of all, the weather was disappointing. It was terrible, but it was warm, but it was wet. But on the second hole, Mickelson missed the green to the right. And Justin Thomas walked up to him and asked him to talk us through his chip, which he did. And the way that he described it, high lofted club, keeping the ball along the ground. The grain was into him. He was going to bounce it into the fringe, kick it up and let it die by the hole. And it's exactly what he did. And he almost hold it. I think he said he wanted to put some blade sauce on there. At least that's what I heard in the telecast. But it was really fun to be able to see and hear Phil talk us through that. I thought it was funny too. Charles Barkley did a great job, as always, challenging Brady 50 grand if he could just hit a green, which he didn't, I think, the first six holes, maybe on the first seven holes, eight holes. But the shot of the match, I think, was number seven when Brady, who was playing horribly, hold the shot at number seven for a birdie. But the alternate shot on the back nine was really interesting. We really didn't know what to expect, whether we knew Tiger was playing well. Phil struggled with his driver on the front, but did better on the back. But it all boiled down to Brady and Peyton Manning. But overall, it was really great to see these guys give of their time, as I said earlier. It was special. It was a powerful message sent to the sports world that golf, again, shows itself to be the most resilient, the most professional and the most giving of all professional sports organizations. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. But 
fans are fired up and making sure they show it. They're rowdy and loud, not your usual crowd. It's a jungle in You know, I've been a pretty good ball striker my whole career, and I think one of the strengths of my game has been my driving. I've been pretty good off the tee. I hit a lot of fairways. But I always know that my first drive of the day is going to be a good one in comfort, luxury, and in style because I'm going to and from the golf course in my Lexus GX460. I've been a brand ambassador of Lexus now for over 30 years, and in my opinion, it's the best vehicle on the road today. Now, I may have had a few body parts replaced over the years, but that's just in my 65-year-old body. My Lexus needs nothing but routine maintenance, and that's just the way I like it. Uh, Joining me now on the podcast, Steve Sands, my colleague at NBC Sports and Golf Channel, who was on the call at Seminole Golf Club for the tailor-made driving relief match uh, a couple weeks ago between Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, and Ricky Fowler, and Matthew Wolf. Steve, what what were your initial takeaways from from that match? Well, it's good to be with you, Peter. Uh, Always great to hear your voice. Um, The initial takeaway was man it was great to see some people play some live golf um it was fun to be around the guys it was cool to see them get some adrenaline um you know have some action going start getting nervous coming down the stretch but mainly peter it was just nice to be out there you know i hate myself i can't imagine how much my family hates me for being home for so long (laughs) it was just it was it was nice to be out there and uh it was just good to be around the guys you and I have been around a lot of golf tournaments, and I, I watched every minute of it, and I was the thing that really hit me, Steve, was the fact that there were no fans. I know a lot of people say, oh, the guy's in shorts carrying their bag. It was all no caddies. But the thing that struck me was when Bob Ford introduced the players and, and you subsequently introduced to on every tee, there was no cheering. There, was, there, were, there wasn't anybody around to, uh, to kind of play off of. Did that? That seemed kind of weird to me. Yeah, it was strange, uh, especially after Peter when they would hit like a majestic drive or make a long putt or hit a really good bunker shot. You know, normally you hear that that palpable buzz from the crowd. The energy definitely was lacking as far as not having fans there. That was certainly odd, but it was an intimate setting. Um, it, it didn't seem as odd as I thought it was going to be. It just was quiet. Uh, but we kind of were used to the quiet. Uh, and then towards the end, the way it finished, obviously, you know, Rory and Dustin, they didn't get to fist bump, they didn't get to chest bump, they didn't get to high five. That was that was particularly odd. So to me, you know, and I know you share the sentiment too, Peter, sports is about the, you know, the fans and the energy and the athletic competition, the whole thing comes together. And the glue to that. Are the fans and and to not have fans there certainly uh, felt a little different. No question. I've played uh, Seminole a few times and really enjoyed, and I was excited to see it on TV for the very first time. 
you and I have actually played golf together and partnered together. If I re- recall, we won our match. <laughs> well, that's, 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 a stretch. Stretch. <laughs> that's, that's a stretch, but go ahead. <laughs> but what, uh, what were your thoughts? Oh, was that your first time at Seminole or had you been out there before? I had never seen the place. And, and as look, you and I have been friends a long time. The, the fact that I don't play golf, uh, makes people wonder what the heck are you doing out there? I said, well, my, my stock answer to that is you don't see Al Michaels running a seam route either. So, um, <laughs> you know, look, you and I partnered years ago in Nebraska. Uh, I don't believe I helped us win one hole. So partnering <laughs> would be the, uh, the incorrect way to, to, uh, describe that encounter that we had on the golf course. But anyway, back to Seminole. Uh, Seminole's great, man. Ooh, what a mint place that is. Um, even though I'm not a, you know, born and raised golfer, uh, you can still understand the history of it, uh, the, the ambiance of it, the, the amazing things that have taken place there, the people who are members there, the piece of property is spectacular. Uh, Seminole was everything that I had ever heard about Seminole. It certainly met that standard, which you know, very few things in life uh, meet the standard of which you hear about it all those years, uh, but Seminole definitely did. It's a cool place. I think over $5 million was raised for uh, COVID-19 yeah, relief efforts. And, it, and you just mentioned the type of people that are members there. And I think it just goes to underline the fact that people in the game of golf are extremely generous. Yeah, it's a private club, and it's hard to get, it's hard to get in the gates just to go play the golf course. But thanks to Jimmy Dunn, the president of Seminole and Bob Ford and all the members. Uh, again, I just think it goes to show you the common denominator in the game of golf is, I hate to say it, I know it's a tried phrase, but it's it's about giving back. No question. Uh, you know, look, again, you and I are massive sports fans, Peter. We watch all sports. And no offense to the other sports, they raise a lot of money for charity and they give back as well. But no sport does it the way golf does. No league organization does it the way the PGA Tour has over the years. North of $3 billion, that's with a B, billion dollars in giving over the years. And to raise $5.5 million uh, with four guys playing, no fans there, to generate those types of dollars, it, it says a lot about the sport. And, and golf has always been in the forefront of giving back. And I know it's a cachet phrase, and I know it's a cliché, but it's so true, Peter. I mean, those are legit dollars going to tremendous organizations to help COVID-19 relief. And I think the five and a half doesn't even include some other things that happened there at Seminole on the ground that day. So, you know, raising that kind of money says a lot about the sport. It's, it's one of the reasons I think golf has the ability, Peter, to be kind of a leader in the sports world as things open up in the country and as things resume to somewhat of a semblance of normalcy. I think golf can be a leader in that. And I think when the PGA Tour comes back on June 11th, it's going to be a litmus test in Fort Worth at Colonial for the other sports and see what type of footprint they can have coming back into the sports world. Golf is just amazing in that regard. I give all the credit in the world to the four players. And we know a lot about Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, Ricky Fowler, and we don't know that much about Matthew Wolf, but but a tip of the cap to those four guys. Let me ask you about Matthew Wolf. I was blown away. I I know he's long. I, I I everybody gets captivated by his 
very unique golf swing, his backswing. But I, I'm blown away by how far he can carry the driver. Did that was that something that stood out to you? He's hitting drives in the 350 yard range. It is remarkable, Peter. I mean, I'm always amazed. Look, I'm five eleven, about one eighty. You know, maybe one eighty five after this quarantine. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> Ricky Fowler, Ricky Fowler's a small guy. You know, Roy McIlroy is not a big guy. He's he's way shorter than I am. And Matthew Wolf is not a big guy. You know, Dustin Johnson. He, he walks around. He kind of, you know, walks around like a panther on the golf course. You know, he's probably six one, six two. You know, incredibly athletic build. Uh, the other three guys have athletic builds as well. But I'm, I'm amazed at how these guys, Justin Thomas, same thing, how far these guys hit the golf ball. And I'm telling you, Peter, I think Matthew Wolf is longer than any of them. He hit a ball on 14, and you know that golf course. It was into the wind. The wind was not coming off the ocean. It was coming from the other side. So it was into the wind on 14, and he hit a 368, uh, which was just incredible. On 16, the one where you have to carry the water, uh, Matthew Wolf absolutely blasted his drive. For him to hit it that far is remarkable. I tell you what, Peter, I don't know how much time you've spent around him. I haven't gotten to know him very well. He's very young. He has only been out there for less than a year on the PGA Tour. He's a good kid, man, and he can really play. He totally gets it as far as his responsibility in the sport and the media and the sponsors and everything that comes with that. Uh, he has that early win on his resume. He absolutely destroys a golf ball off the tee, so you know fans are going to want to watch him play. I think Matthew Wolfpeter has a chance. If he stays healthy and focused, I think he has a chance to be a big star on the world on the world stage for the next couple of decades. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement there. I think length is a huge, uh, huge checkmark in his favor. He That's the one the thing that separates... Yeah, it separates players when you start looking at the modern player today. A lot of names of people that maybe start to drop off the leaderboard, not 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 completely go away, but if they're no longer contending in majors or consistently in tournaments, I think it has to do with length off the tee. So in that respect, look at Rory, look at Dustin, Ricky for a little guy, he can still pound at Justin Thomas. And I think Matthew Wolf fits in that in that category nicely. Let me ask. Let me ask one other question. The players were mic'd, and yep. I, what, I know that we had the full complement of announcers. And I know it's tough because I did the match a couple of years ago between Phil and Tiger, and it's hard to know when they're going to speak, and it's hard for you to know when to jump in. But was there much banter between the guys? It was. It was hard to pick that up on, on the telecast. Yeah, it was hard. Technology kind of got in the way there, Peter. Not, not to get into, for your audience, not to get into the intricacies of how television is produced, but we couldn't hear. So Jerry Fultz was on the ground. I wasn't really calling shots. I was just kind of being a traffic cop down there. Jerry was calling shots on the ground, Jerry Fultz. We couldn't hear them. Normally, if players are mic'd up, you would be able to hear them, but the technology didn't allow... For, for that type of thing, and, and there's a, numerous reasons for that, but, you know, the CDC social distancing guidelines and the, the, the how many people we had on the ground, the technicians, the audio people, and the cameramen, and all the people that you normally would have, we didn't normal, we didn't have a normal production. So they had a lot of banter. Uh, we just didn't hear it. So if 
we apologize if, if for the audience that they didn't get to hear the players enough because perhaps our announcers spoke over them. But we didn't mean to speak over them. We just didn't hear them speaking. So it was a difficult thing. But, yeah, they had some banner. There was a, it was a very funny exchange early. Everybody knows in the golf world what happened with Dustin Johnson years ago at the PGA Championship at Whistling Straits to the right of the 18th fairway uh, when he should have won the PGA Championship but had that unfortunate incident in that waste bunker that was deemed a waste bunker by the PGA of America rule staff. And it was. And Dustin knows it now. Uh, but didn't know it at the time, um, obviously, or else he wouldn't have done that. Matthew Wolf blew one way right, Peter, early in the round. I think it was on three, and he kind of yelled back into the fairway, hey, Dustin, is this a waste bunker? <laughs> you know, just kind of <laughs> yeah. messing with him a little bit. So there was a lot of that. We just didn't hear a lot of it, which is a shame because that's why you want to mic up players. Um, but that was through no fault of anybody's um, as far as the production. It just – it just didn't work out uh, to be able to hear from them as often as we would have liked. But those guys had some good banner. I mean, Rory can, can yuck it up. Dustin Johnson was giving it to him a little bit. Um, we already we know that Matthew Wolf now has that type of personality, so he was good for it, and Ricky is as well. But unfortunately, Peter, like you said, we just didn't hear enough of them. But that was through nobody's fault. It just was the way it was uh, with that particular telecast. Rory had a pretty good uh pretty good comeback too i think he had a three or four or five footer to have a hole early in the match maybe two or three and yeah. somebody must have yelled at him hey that's a tough putt and when he knocked it in as it was going yeah, it was matthew he wolf said, yeah oh was it yeah, yeah. he said uh, don't forget <laughs> i've won two fedex cups which, uh, right, which exactly. was which was pretty cool okay talk about the match that was a that very funny are, exchange as well yeah i just love that i love that little needle that comes out now, uh, we're going to be airing on Tuesday, so the match between Phil Tiger, Tom Brady, and Peyton Manning will have already been played. But uh, give me a right. little thought about what we are going to see, even though this is going to be <laughs> this is going to be out after the match. What are your What are your initial thoughts on this match coming up? A couple things. One is the medalist is really hard, Peter. You know, depending on how the weather uh, shapes up. The medalist is hard. So do you make it easy because Peyton Manning and Tom Brady are playing for Tiger and Phil, or do you have to make it a little bit more difficult than you'd like for Peyton and Tom because Tiger and Phil are playing in it? So I, I'm, I'm curious to see how that all plays out. I also think, you know, Tom and, and Peyton are incredible athletes, Peyton, you've seen the commercials and the interviews and the shows over the years. I mean, great personality. Tom Brady has a much, much better personality than he allows people to see when he's playing football during the season on the podium all those years with the Patriots. Uh, so I think you're going to see, uh, I think you'll have seen a lot more banter back and forth between those four. I think you're going to hear a lot of, of needling and that type of thing. What I'm most curious about Peter, and you could speak to this, is with television cameras and the basic kind of pressure of the moment, if Peyton and Tom are kind of 80 to 85 shooters, are they going to break 100? I mean, are they going to play poorly? I mean, the modified alternate shot on the back nine, we could see some 
golf shots like you and I were playing together in Nebraska. You might see some foul balls uh, from the Steve Sands in this scenario, which is Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, versus the Peter Jacobson in this scenario, which is Tiger Woods or Phil Mickelson. So uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think you're going to see a lot of good golf shots from Phil and Tiger. Uh, but I'm more curious to see what type of golf under pressure with TV cameras around uh, you'll see from Peyton and Tom. It's not an easy game. And no matter how much practice you put in, Peter, uh, when the lights turn on, you never know how these guys are going to react. I find it fascinating that once you take an athlete or a celebrity, uh, an actor, a singer, out of their comfort zone, out of their element, and we're all the same, and you put them in an unfamiliar position how things changed. I played in the AT&T so many years with Jack Lemmon, and I've played with Michael Jordan many times and Huey Lewis and these are the best athletes, actors, and singers in our in our lifetime. Yet when they've got a six footer or an eight iron, you can see it in their face that they're out of their comfort zone, and they're like, "Uh oh, where's this go- this one going?" So it'll be interesting to me to see how uh, Brady and Manning, as great as they are, Super Bowl champs, as we speak about this Tuesday. It's happened two days ago, so. Hey, Steve, thanks for joining us. Appreciate your time and the best to you and your family, and I look forward to seeing you soon. You too, Peter. Always great to be with you. Anything for you, bud, and I hope uh, you and the whole family are doing great. You've been here before. You know what to do. Keep your head on straight. Don't let them get to you. Put a smile on your face. Get rid of that I'm a sports nut, and if you're anything like me, the first thing you do every morning is grab your phone and check to see what may have happened overnight in the world of sports. But Mondays are for golf. Once the weekend is over and the golf tournaments around the world are complete, whether they're on the professional tours or in the amateur world, I know I'll find what I need on Global Golf Post. It comes to my email every Monday morning delivering everything I need to know as I dissect what happened over that weekend. It also offers insight and analysis from experienced writers and contributors who are as committed to the game as I am. And it's pretty easy to sign up. Just log on to globalgolfpost.com and you're done. And for even more great content, you can subscribe to Global Golf Post Plus, which takes a deeper dive into the world of golf, exploring the people, places, and things that makes this game we love so intoxicating. And with Global Golf Post Plus, there's no advertising. Use the promo code JAKESTAKES when you sign up to receive 30% off your monthly subscription to Global Golf Post Plus. So remember, globalgolfpost.com. It's everything you're going to need to know about this game of golf. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. Trevor, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Two wins on the PGA Tour, 2008 Masters champion. 
and he was on the call yesterday at Capital One's The Match, which turned out to be an incredible, incredible show. First, Trevor, before I get to the details of the match, what were your thoughts heading in to the event with Tiger and Peyton playing Phil and Tom Brady? What were your what, what were your expectations? Well, Peter, it's great to join you on the podcast. I uh, it, I don't know really. It was a little up in the air. I knew pretty much what we would get out of Tiger and Phil, and Phil was uh, telling everybody leading up to the match that you know they were going to be a little more open, speaking more, having having more fun out there. So that was uh, something that was pretty exciting for us. But we weren't quite sure what we were going to get from the two quarterbacks. But uh, you know, spending a couple of days down there with everybody as we were rehearsing and they were getting their practice rounds in, you could see uh, that uh, the two quarterbacks were really into it. In particular, Peyton. I mean, he is just so good uh, from a standpoint of telling stories and having a laugh and uh, and having a bit of fun out there. So we knew that we had the potential to do something really special. Unfortunately, the weather just didn't cooperate, and it was, uh, quite frankly, pretty miserable for the players out there. But uh, i got to give them some credit for sticking to it and uh, putting on a great show. I was involved in the first match uh, a year and a half ago. Uh, Ernie Johnson was a host. Darren Clark and I were the analysts, and we did have uh, quite a cast of characters. We had Pat Perez, we had Samuel L. Jackson, and we had Charles Barkley. And yesterday, despite the weather... Charles was his his perfect self. I I just I just think the guy is so engaging and captivating when he opens his mouth, and he didn't disappoint yesterday in the telecast. You had you had some great banter back and forth with Charles and the players. Yeah, absolutely right, Jake. It's, uh, it was an honor for me to get the opportunity to work with him. It was the first time that I'd actually even met him, and uh, and then got to work with him. Uh, I got to say, I was blown away from the minute that he stepped foot into the TV compound, just so engaging and personable with everybody on the whole crew. Uh, You can see that he really loves and enjoys his job and appreciates all the effort that all the techs and everybody involved puts in. Uh, So it was uh, quite a thrill for me to have the opportunity to work with him. And he loves the game of golf. And, uh, you know, for guys like you and me that have spent our lives uh, you know, dedicating ourselves to this sport. It's great to see a guy like that who is a superstar in his own right also love the game that we love. And so it was uh, a lot of fun having him on the crew and working with him. And uh, what a great personality and sense of humor he's got. He gets the biggest galleries out at the American Century Championship, which is on NBC TV every summer. He's the worst player in the field. He finishes dead last. But he's got the biggest galleries because he, as you said, he's so kind and he's so giving mm. to so many people. I, if he ran for president, I think everybody would vote for him, and I, I personally think he'd do do a great job. Yeah, you're right. What just what a great guy. And you know, another thing I think that endears him to people is he he doesn't take himself too seriously, and he has a laugh at himself. And so when we were going back and forth and JT was throwing a few barbs at him and some of the players, uh, you know, he was having a laugh and really enjoying that. And, uh, you know, that's something that you don't always see from superstars like that. But uh, 
you sure do see it from Charles Barkley. And uh, like I said, it was a real thrill for me to get the opportunity to work with him. We saw some inconsistent play. Obviously, I think the weather, as you pointed out, had a lot to do with that. But a couple of shots that jumped out at me was the hole out. First of all, Tom Brady's hole out at number seven. And then mm-hmm. Phil's tee shot and Brady's eagle putt at 11. Uh, Brady had played so poorly for six holes. And then, boom, that, that hole out at seven kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, I actually thought that that was when the whole show really started to gain a little bit of momentum. The first six holes, uh, Phil and Tom really struggled and couldn't get anything going and, uh, you know, were uh, two or three down already at that point. And then all of a sudden, in a way that only Chuck can, he, he, he said to Tom, you know, I think even I could beat you. And you could <laughs> see the look on Tom's face. He was like, oh. he actually said, hey, Chuck, I'm trying to win a Super Bowl. I haven't been working on my golf game. And then he makes that wedge shot and uh, has a great back and forth with Charles there. And uh, that was a lot of fun for us. And then, like you said, all of a sudden things start going. Then Phil hits that incredible uh, drive over the corner of the trees to about 15 feet there on 11. And Tom makes that putt. And all of a sudden the match was on. Uh, you know, unfortunately, some brutal weather came in right about that time, but uh, the guys hung in there. And 17, was, uh, excuse me, 16, the par three, was another great hole where three of the guys hit it inside of 12 feet, which then uh, through Russell Wilson donated another 300,000 meals uh, to people, which uh, is what the day was all about. And then a nice, exciting finish there on 18 and... Uh, Probably a nice relief for Tiger to, uh, you know, get this match series 1-1. I know for sure that he didn't want to lose head-to-head to Phil Mickelson twice in a row. What's, what's interesting, people, I, Phil Mickelson has been a staple in the game his whole career, but, but he's 50, or he's turning 50 soon, mm-hmm. and I've played medalist as you have. That 11th mm-hmm. hole, the drivable par four, Phil got up there and hit an absolute laser that landed Three feet from the hole, went about 15 feet to the back of the green, and Brady hold it. I think it just goes to show you that even at 50 years old, Phil Mickelson can still compete with the young kids. Uh, there's no doubt about it. No doubt in my mind whatsoever. And uh, actually in preparation, let's see, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, he was down there playing 27 holes, 36 holes a day. He enlisted all the uh, PGA Tour members that are, uh, play out there at Medalist. He was playing practice rounds with Ricky Fowler and Justin Thomas and Matt Wolf and Patrick Cantlay. He was trying to learn as much as he could from them about that golf course and the best way to go ahead and play it. And then even talking to him as he was warming up on the range and putting in some prep time in the days leading up, you can still feel the excitement from him when he talks about his game. Some of the changes that he's made to his equipment during this uh, break that we've had changing the location of his CG and his driver in order to flight the ball down a little bit more when he needs to. He still has that fire burning bright. And when a player of that type of ability and natural talent still has that fire burning, uh, it's just a matter of time before they put it all together and get in the winner's circle again. The one thing that I loved is we both know Phil. Phil has the answer to any question in anybody could ask him in the world. But <laughs> he backs it up. The, the the most interesting shot to me was the second hole when he had that chip right of the green. And I think Justin walked up to him and said, hey, Phil, talk us through this pitch. And what ensued was probably three or four minutes of just 
brilliant uh, dissection mm. of a chip, and then he almost holds mm. it. I, to me, I tweeted that I that description and that the way that he created that shot proves to me that he's the best short game player in the game. Were you were you surprised when he went through that, or is that what you were expecting? Well, it was just a world class moment. It's 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 kind of what I was expecting, but I think because just because we've seen those kinds of shots so often out of him, you know, over the last 25 years or so. Uh, what made it so special, though, was what, as viewers and fans, uh, he let us into his mind right there and showed us the thought process he's going through uh, and that he's thinking through and how he's deciding exactly how he's going to play that shot and how he's going to adjust his technique and what club he's going to use, exactly where he's going to land the ball, uh, he's going to land it on that into-the-grain patch, and because there's been the rain, the ball's going to skid a little bit. Then it's going to get on the green and check up. And uh, like you say, it takes a couple minutes to explain that whole process to everybody listening, and then he pulls it off exactly the way he said he would. That was something that is quite special right there. And, uh, you know, when you play that second hole to the right of the green, where his ball was was probably three or four feet below the level of the green. And so having to hit uphill from a grainy lie that's also in, in, in wet uh, conditions, get the perfect contact, the perfect trajectory and distance that the ball's traveling, and uh, to hit it to tap-in range is, uh, is something very, very special. You guys were right there on the ground and, uh, and different because you've got, you've got uh, an, an IFB in your ear and you're talking to the producer mm. and the director, but being at home watching as a viewer, I was so impressed by how much the four players gave. We've never seen Tiger that open. We, we got to mm. look inside Phil Mickelson's mind. Plus, he's an entertainer. He was entertaining us, and both Peyton and Tom, until, until Tom holed out on 70, was pretty quiet, but pretty remarkable to take four great athletes to give up their time to be able to do this, not only for COVID-19 relief, but for the game of golf. I, I thought it was a great show, and I, it just... It just showed what an incredible game the game of golf is in giving back. $20 million was raised, and uh, it had to feel mm. good to be just a part of that. Absolutely right. You know, I, I, I said it yesterday, Jake, and I'll say it again. You know, I was born and grew up in South Africa. I've been fortunate enough to live here in the U.S. for about 15 years or so now. And, and one of the things that has just always been so fascinating and awesome to me is how Americans get behind charities that are dear to their heart. And when people are struggling, they stand up and they help as much as they can. And the way that they support these charities financially is, is just, it's absolutely remarkable. I'm not saying that it doesn't happen everywhere else in the world, but what I see here in the U.S. is just, uh, it, it's really incredible. And for these four icons of American sport, to, to use their platform and their fame and to come together to raise 20 million bucks in an afternoon. And that is, uh, it's something that is just so damn inspiring. And uh, I take my hat off to them and Turner Sports and Capital One and all the sponsors that were involved, all the people at home that were donating during the show. You know, just a, an amazing afternoon for sports and, uh, you know, for helping people in need. Yeah, it sends a powerful message about uh, this great game of golf. Trevor, I'd love to have you back on in the future to talk about you, your career on the PGA Tour. 
uh, obviously 2008 Anytime. Masters champion, PGA Tour Rookie of the Year in 2006. You're also USGA Amateur Pub Links champion and upcoming president of the international team, uh, the team captain uh, for next year's President's Cup. Well, we don't know if it's next year with the Ryder Cup this year in jeopardy. We don't know what's going to happen, but uh, mm-hmm. we'd really much like to have you back on uh, and uh, talk about you, not just about this second half, uh, an addition to your career, which is now broadcasting. So uh, thanks for your time, Trevor, and uh, all the best to you and your family, and I look forward to seeing you somewhere soon. Thanks for having me, Jake. I enjoyed it. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's Jake's Takes podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Peter Jacobson. These have been my takes. What are yours?